It's been a wonderful day of worship already to be together with you and to sing these songs to the Lord. How wonderful to celebrate with the bread and the cup. And now with eagerness, let's go back to the scriptures to have God speak to us through his word. And I want to invite you to join me in 1 John chapter 4. So 1 John is toward the end of your Bible, near the book of Revelation. You'll, you'll go to Jude and then back, 3rd, 2nd, and then 1 John. That's where we're going to be together today. We're in what I've been calling our strategy sessions. And today we're going to take on this word, encourage. It's been a number of years ago now when Lindsay was in high school running cross country and we were, we were there. Cross country races, you know how those work? You don't get to see your kid the whole time. You just have that one little moment when they go by, you choose your place on the course. And so we we're waiting for our daughter to go by and it was Joy, me and Lauren, they're along the rope waiting. And so while we were waiting there for our turn to cheer on our person, uh, there were these other girls near us and they were from another school and they were going to cheer on their friend as she came by. So we heard all this beside us and it was really sweet. Go Emma, go Emma, you've got this. You can do it. Go Emma, you've got it. You can do it. Sweet. Emma trotted by and then Lauren overheard these girls talk. They said, she can't do it. She can't do it. She doesn't have this. I could do it. She can't do it. That's hilarious. So we've, that's been a family joke for us all along. Just, that was just odd. So when we talk about encouragement today, is that what we're talking about? Saying nice things to each other that we don't really mean? No, we're talking about biblical encouragement today from the word of God. So we're on our way to 1 John 4, but listen to Hebrews 10, 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more, as you say, see the day drawing near. So we've been talking already in these strategy sessions, who Jesus is to us. He is the vine. We are branches. So that's why prominently in our logo is that vine. Then we talked about those ascending blocks in our logo and they have meaning to them. First of all, that blue block encounter. So our, our desire is to come together to worship after a week of worshiping privately to encounter God together, the living God. That's the blue block. Today, we're going to take on encourage. And that's that idea that I'm here to also encourage my brothers and sisters in Christ. So think about what we do in here. It's wonderful. And it's all by design to be primarily vertical in here. In other words, we've come in here worshiping and every week we come, our eyes are mostly upward when we're in here on God himself. That's what a worship service is. We are exalting Jesus. We are praising God, very vertical. But so much of the Christian life also involves other people. There's a horizontal dimension to your Christian life. And so I want you to consider with me all the one another statements in scripture. Well, not all of them. I'm gonna really fast, rapid fire, give you 21 of these one another statements. For the purpose of you seeing this, I couldn't possibly carry out those commands of God in a one hour worship service. We're not even set up in here for all the horizontal ministry that we're supposed to do with each other. This is God word here. So here are these, and let's consider how am I gonna do these if I don't move into other groups in the church? So here's one, be at peace with one another. Outdo one another in showing honor. Live in harmony with one another. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Through love, serve one another. Bear with one another in love. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. Always seek to do good to one another. Exhort one another every day. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Serve one another. Encourage one another. Stir up one another to love and good works. And then this one is repeated over and over again. Love one another. So as wonderful as these worship encounters are in here that we've just enjoyed and we're in the middle of right now, what are we going to do about these one another's that we can't possibly do during this hour together? That's why by design as a church, we have these moments where we worship together. Yes, encountering God, but we have life groups where we can better carry out these one another's, these caring for each other. So biblically, we're to be worshipers but we're also to be encouragers. Last week in John 4, we saw that we're to be true worshipers, worshiping in spirit and in truth. Now we're in 1 John 4, and we're going to see that we are to be true encouragers. We are to love one another. And so here's our text now, 1 John 4, 7 and following. 1 John 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. So many beautiful things happening in that text. But notice with me, first of all, the command to love. In this text, there is a command to love. Did you notice it? Verse seven, beloved, let us love one another. Even verse eight, anyone who does not love does not know God. So understand to love one another is not an option. To love one another in a local church like this is a command of God. Now, isn't that a very different take on love than what you've grown up with? In our culture, our whole lives, when love is talked about, we get the impression that it's primarily an emotion. Now, I'm with you. I enjoy the emotions that often accompany love. Wonderful. Something's off if, if you don't have some emotion, uh, usually, when you love. But, but here in the culture, we're kind of told it's like this mysterious feeling that sometimes descends on you, and you can't really control it. So, oh my, I think I love this other person, and I wasn't expecting that. And just as mysteriously, that feeling can go away. Oh, no, I committed to this person, but now I don't love them. And so I guess I need to check out for them. And that's how we have viewed love. But God repeatedly speaks of love as something very different. We see that it is over and over again a command of God. There are some right loves that we are to have. And there are some loves that we are not to have. For instance, think about what we're not to have. The Lord told us not to love the world nor the things in the world. 
but we are to have a set of loves. And so loving is a matter of your lordship or, or the lordship of Jesus and how you're relating to that. So think about just some of the ways in the Bible God is very comfortable commanding you and me to love. So husbands, you know this one. We're commanded. Husbands, love your wives. Not, hey, if she's acting lovable, if she's had a really good week. This is, no, you are to love her and how? As Christ loved the church, a command. How about the greatest commandment of all? You are to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. God didn't give you an option there. You're sinning if you're not loving God. And, and he set the bar really high. All of us fall short of it. Oh, but Lord, I owe you a love that's everything, all consuming from me. He's very comfortable calling for that from you and me. We're to love our neighbors as ourselves. He even tells us to love our enemies. And then here among the brothers and sisters in Christ, he says, you are to love one another. Understand love is not extra for the Christian. This is not a choice for a follower of Jesus. Understand this is basic Christianity. This isn't some higher plane of Christianity. Maybe one day I'll get there where I can love other people, but until then I'm a baby Christian. No, this is, this is basic. I can't think of a command repeated more in the Bible than this one, that believers are to love one another. Here's just some examples. Even just in the previous chapter in the book of the Bible where you are, listen to 1 John 3, 11. For this is the message that you've heard, listen, from the beginning that you should love one another. Verse 14 of chapter 3, we know that we've passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods... And sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And then verse 23. And this is, catch it, his commandment. That we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. And love one another just as he commanded us. So we're commanded to love one another. So... If we are a cold Christian toward other Christians, we are in sin. If we have a sarcastic, grumpy personality among other Christians, we are sinning. If we're an aloof, disinterested Christian, like I take or leave fellowship with other Christians, we are transgressing many commands of God. If we're a Christian that just wants to operate based on feelings, well, if I feel loving, I'll act loving. If I don't, I won't. That is pure disobedience to the many commands of God here. Now, maybe you protest and you think, I don't know how it's possible that I can love everybody in this church. I mean, this is just one of three services. I don't even know these people. How in the world can I love all of them? That's one protest. But this is the one that maybe is more profound. Well, all right, I, I want to love everybody, but there's some people among the church, I can't, I don't know if I can love them. There's certain ones I don't want to love. Well, we have a command to love one another. But here's some encouragement. There is a source of love. See that with me. There's a command to love. And then John tells us, oh, here's the source of that love that you're supposed to give to other people. Look at verse seven again. Beloved, let us love one another. Now this, for love is from God. 
And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So our love is not primarily based on the lovability of another person. That's not where our love comes from. Oh, they're so amazing. Then love leaps out for them. And we agree, not everybody in our lives is easy to love. And yet that's not, that's not the point. It doesn't mean every church member is gonna be our absolute best friend on the planet, but we are called to love them. So the command to love is not rooted in ourselves. The command to love is not rooted in the other person. It's rooted in God himself. Notice again, verse seven, love is from God. And then that famous verse, verse eight, for God is love. So it's logical here. John talks about how you've been born of God. You're now a child of God through your faith in Jesus. You're born of him. He's now your father. He's love. Then that family trait of love will begin to show up in you. Something that you didn't have before you came to Christ that you would be totally incapable of doing. Now you belong to him. You're born of him. Chapter three, verse one. See what kind of love the father has given to us that we should be called children of God. So we are now through faith in Jesus. We're his children. He's now in us by his spirit. And that family trait of God who is loved, now that is in us. We have a new capacity to love other people. You've been born again, born from above, born of God through your faith in Jesus. And you're not what you were. You're now new, a new nature, a new capacity to begin to love people like you should. And this is not new teaching here either. Because we find even in the book of Galatians in chapter five, we read about the fruit of the spirit. So if you are in Christ, you're yielded to the Holy Spirit, he begins to produce his fruit in you. And the first on the list is the fruit of the spirit is love. Not coming from you, it's coming from God. It's not you and I trying to muscle out love for other people. If we're walking with him, he's gonna begin to produce what's not natural to us, but it's natural to him. John 15, five, remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about Jesus is the vine. That's why that's prominent in our logo. And if we abide in him and he abides in us, we're gonna bear much fruit. And primary in that fruit is Christ likeness. Yes, ministry impact, but Christ likeness. And we're gonna have this greater and greater ability as he inspires it in us, sanctifies us to love like he loves. So you say, Jim, I thought we were in a strategy session and now you're talking about love. How does that fit? It's just everywhere. <laughs> it's just absolutely essential. No matter what we draw up that we want to accomplish as a church, if we don't have love, doesn't 1 Corinthians 13 tell us we're nothing without love? And so it's essential that we're loving and adoring God and we're encountering him, but it's also essential that we love each other and a love that's so intense and so wonderful that it spills out where we can love our neighbors and love the nations with this. Several years ago, I came upon a news article with this headline and I had to read it. This is from the Daily Telegraph. Here's the headline. Masab Hassan Youssef, son of Hamas leader, becomes a Christian. I got to read that one. And so I read it this again several years ago. The story goes this way. Mr. Youssef said that his doubts about Islam and Hamas crystallized when he realized that not all Hamas leaders were like his father, a moderate who he described as open-minded, very humble and honest. Mr. Yusuf said that he was appalled by the brutality of the movement, including the suicide bombers seeking glory through jihad. Hamas, they're using civilians' lives. They're using children. 
They're using the suffering of people every day to achieve their goals. And this is what I hate, he said. The story goes on. It was after a chance encounter nine years ago with a British missionary that Mr. Yusuf began exploring Christianity. He found it exciting, he said, and began secretly studying the Bible, struck by the central tenet, love your enemies. So here we're called to something that the world would find very unusual. Love your enemies, love your neighbor, love each other. And in those, even in other religions that are hostile to Christ, seeing this is quite inspiring. Certainly in this man, God was working on him. The story had it wrong. It wasn't a chance encounter with a British missionary. You know, God orchestrated that out of love for this man to bring him into the family. But isn't it interesting? It's this teaching that we're to live out loving your enemies even that's so compelling to others. So we're called to a very different life than the selfishness and anger and brutality out in the world around us. The world needs this love, but there's no way we can love out there like this if we're not loving one another well in here. We'd be like a family in dysfunction, that they're just fighting within, fighting within. They have nothing left over to minister to their neighbors if they're at war within. And likewise, God intends for his children to love each other, to care well for each other. Simultaneously, though, looking outside of these walls into the community, a world in need of this love, in need of the gospel, and nations in need of the gospel, all that's to be happening, but oh, love is going on here. So wouldn't you agree with me that an unloving church then would be a scandalous thing? It would be a contradiction when it's so repeated us, we are to love one another. Here's what I'm happy to say as I preach this to this congregation. Um, this is the atmosphere of the church. Not that we do it perfectly. Here's the danger of preaching on love and encouragement like this. You think, man, I'm, I, I don't think we're hitting the bar. I, we probably aren't, but we're certainly aspiring to this. And, and so this is what we want to do. So we're just talking about this, the command to love. And the source of love is not any one of us. Certainly we fail at it, but there's a source of this. It's from God and his, his nature is love. Now this, the standard of God's love. What's the standard of love that we're trying to live out here? Verse nine again. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. This is love. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So here it is in verse 11 that God tells us it's expected of us that we're going to love one another because God loved us. And we're to love one another with the same kind of love that we have received from God. So what is this love? What kind of love is this that God has given us that he tells us now that we are intended to give to other people? First of all, it is a love that initiates. It's a love that initiates. God had the idea of sending his son to us. We didn't initiate that. God moved first. Before we ever loved him, he was loving us. God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's love initiates. And that's what we're to do with each other in the life of the church. With the same kind of love we've received, we direct it toward other believers. So let me ask, are you in a loveless standoff with somebody in your life where you're like, well, I'm waiting for them to make the first move. You know, if they would act lovely and lovable, if they would actually love me first, 
then I love them. That's not the kind of love we've received. God acted first. And just as we've received that, we're supposed to direct that to other people. We make the first move toward other people. We think, well, nobody seems to care about me here. I'm just going to wait. And if they start showing care to me, then I'll care for them. That's not what we're called to. We have a love from God that initiates. And this too is not a new teaching for us. We know that. Probably the first thing you ever heard that Jesus taught was the golden rule. Do to others as you would have them do to you. That whole thing says, not do to others what they've done for you. It's you go ahead. You act first. This is what Jesus says. You go for, you do to them what you wish they were already doing for you. That's what we're called to here. So in all of your relationships, seek to love first, like your father, this new nature that you've received through faith in Jesus, put that to work. No waiting. Let me love first. Don't be passive. So what kind of love? A love that initiates, but also a love that gives all. The love we've received is a love that gives all. And we come to that word propitiation in the text. Did you notice it when we read it? And so that's a very unusual word. It's not one we use in everyday language, but it's a great, rich theological word. Some translations bring it over as atoning sacrifice. It's, it means this. It's a sacrifice where the wrath of God, the justice of God has been satisfied. That we deserved condemnation from God with all of our sin directed against a holy, good, loving God. We rejected him innumerable times. That would bring punishment. That brings the wrath of God. But here's the love of God. Knowing we deserve that judgment, he did not want us to have to take that. So his solution to his justice and his love for us is the cross. And that's where Jesus gave his body and blood for us. What we celebrated just a few moments ago, Jesus was the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. God judged your sin on Jesus. That's how the substitution worked. Jesus took the punishment you deserved. He died for your sins. The father raised him up on the third day. If you believe in him, the promise is you won't perish but you'll have everlasting life. This is a love that gave all. Jesus left heaven, took on flesh and blood to give that flesh and blood in payment for your sins. So how am I to love my brothers and sisters like that? We saw it in chapter three. We read it quickly where it says that, that he laid down his life for us. He says, we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. And so that's the standard of love. We're called to the same. Verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So now practically, let's come back and let's talk about these life groups. Because this is very important. How, how would I possibly lay down my life for, serve people like this, love people like this, in a room like this where I'm directed forward and upward? How would I do it? These life groups, part of the strategy, they're vital. So we're encountering God in here. Yes, encouraged at the same time, but we move into the life groups and yes, we're still encountering God there, but we're encouraging simultaneously. Verticals happening and horizontals happening. And that's why a number of years ago, we switched the name from Sunday school for our adults to life groups. Sunday school is a fine term, but the danger of the word Sunday school is we just start thinking information. It's merely a Bible study where I gather information and I just get my head smarter and smarter here. But we aspire to more than just academic in there. So Chip leads up our, our worship ministries, but also our discipleship ministries, including our life groups. And so he describes there are three things we're trying to accomplish in our life groups. And it's this, transformational teaching, biblical community, 
and missional living. So more, more than a class, but transformational teaching. We want you to have this fellowship centered around the Bible. So you're hearing the Bible, you're discussing the Bible. I can't think of anything more encouraging than being fed the Bible. And that's happening transformational though for life change. But what we've been talking about today is this biblical community where you go in there encouraged and you go in there encouraging others. So my prayer is this in the life groups, that you'll be encouraged in those groups to love and trust Jesus more. So encouraged for what? Encouraged for that, that you're going to love Jesus and trust him more. You'll be encouraged in your life group that you're not alone in this walk with Christ. In that life group, the intention is that you're going to receive but also give encouragement to brothers and sisters in Christ. And you're going to have opportunities to serve the Lord together as a group of believers. So as pastor, I get to hear a lot of what's happening in the life groups. I'm, I'm sure I don't hear the half of it, but I get these wonderful reports of what life groups are doing. Sometimes it's just on social media for me to see, but I love even just the social outings that a group will do to take the encouragement outside of the hour or hour or so on a Sunday morning or whenever they meet, and let, hey, let's go spend more time together that we might knit our hearts together. Let's just go have fun together. So maybe go into a squirrels game or maybe to the river or maybe to top golf or maybe just having dinner together. Watching these life groups work, it's so beautiful in times of grief where they're there for each other. They're, they're aware they've been praying for somebody in their lives. That person passes away. There's your front line of pastoral care by design happening in that small group of people that we call a life group. Oftentimes when people are sick, there's people praying for you. They know about it. They're walking with you through an illness or a surgery. I hear about these meal trains that you initiate. Let's, let's help this person out with a meal for a little while. Not only that, it's not just physical things, but spiritual struggles. And it's in a life group where a person might feel more free than in this room. But in a life group, you say, I'm struggling with sin in this area. I've, I've got a heart issue. I feel like I'm in bondage here. Maybe it's pulling a brother or sister aside from that group where you can share and get help with something. We, we've had stories of people breaking free from addictions because of the love and support of their life group. These groups also often go do outreach together. So they'll see a need in an area. So we've had life groups go do block parties. They'll get the inflatables and the popcorn machine and snow cones and all that. Let's go to a park. Let's just be available to share with people about Christ, invite them to our church. It's beautiful what these life groups do. Even some groups serving together in the life of the church here. So, so here's a question this morning for practical application. Are you just in terms of encountering, is it your priority that you're going to encounter God? Is worship a priority for you? I want to encounter the living God. I want to worship in spirit and truth. But then how about that next block that one we talk about encourage. Are you seeking to encourage and love others in the life of this church? And then practically, are you in a life group where that can more readily happen? And so let me just remind you when these are available. Usually, uh, most of the groups are meeting on Sunday mornings, either 9.30 hour or 11 o'clock hour. So if you're an 11 o'clock worshiper, we have life groups at 9.30 that you could try where you could get to know some people better in the life church and begin to love and serve others in the body of Christ. But we also have some off of Sunday morning. We have a group that meets on Sunday nights up here. We have three life groups that meet on Wednesday nights. So if that works better for you, there's that. We have one with young adults meeting on Tuesday nights in a home. And we have more in the pipeline to be started because these are so vital to what we need to do and be as a church. If you want to get connected with anything, how do I even take that step? Use that connection card. That's great for everything, but on the website, Tommy always mentions it. You can go there and I just want to, hey, get me connected with a life group. Tell me more about them. Are chips available after church day? I'm available. We can help you make that important move in your life. Have you ever met somebody who said, I'm a Christian. I just don't need a church. 
Man, you hear that a lot, don't you? I'm a Christian. I don't need a church. There's a person who hasn't read the Bible in a very long time. Because how could you possibly be obedient to Christ and all these one another's that we've talked about and loving one another if you say, and I don't go to a church where I can actually be around Christians and build them up and encourage them like that. You need a church. People need church. We need each other. And the life groups make it possible for us to know one another and care for one another. Understand this. Being a part of a church is not just joining a church. Being a part of a church is not just attending a church. Don't we see here in 1 John Oh, we're called to be engaged, active, loving others in the life of the church. So there's a temptation, isn't there, not to attend church. But there's another temptation, and that's to only attend church. Okay, I'm here. I've, I've arrived. I've done it. No, we're called to something more. If we just attend, then we might fall into just being a spectator of church. We're just going to be a consumer of church. Maybe even we'll be a critic of church. I'm here and how well are they doing? That's my role in the church. I can assure you our nominating team every year when they're looking for people to fill roles, we don't have a church critic role where we're trying to fill. We don't even have a church spectator role for that. No, we want you in the life of the church. And that's where the joy is as you get to know people and you get to let God use you to be a blessing to other people in the church. Just a couple of other thoughts before we go. Wouldn't it be weird if on a given Sunday, I stood up here during the time when I normally would preach and say, it's not ready. I'm not ready. I got nothing today. And for that 30 minutes, we just stand and look at each other. That'd be weird. By the way, that's every pastor's fear <laughs> every week. Lord, please give me a message for your people. Every, I got pastor friends and we pray for each other every week for that. And God's faithful to give his word. But wouldn't that be weird? Listen, it's just as weird though. If you come to church unprepared for your part, to worship, yes, and to be a blessing and encouragement. Because we've been commanded over and over again, love one another, build each other up. We've got all these things. So you must come prepared, ready to serve as well. Or what about our musicians, Chip and the band and the musicians? They're, they're always ready. But what, just imagine with me, if they came one week, it just didn't come together. And so that block, when they're new, normally leading us to worship, we just looked at each other like, let's talk amongst yourselves. We'll, we'll just wait. That'd be weird. But listen, it's just as weird if you and I come here and we don't recognize I have a role too. Not just to watch it happen, but I've got people that I'm supposed to encourage. I've got people around me that need love, and I want to give that to them. And again, a life group is going to be a big part of where you can do that as well. Well, a lot of other things we could say from this passage, but let me just jump down to verse 14 again, and we'll close with this. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. What a great, what a great statement. Jesus is the Savior of the world. And before you go today, here's the ultimate encouragement for you. Would you trust in Jesus? the one who loved you enough to give his body and blood for you, would you receive his love? He's the savior of the world, but you want him to be your savior as well. And how do you do that? It's by being humble, acknowledging that you're a sinner like the rest of us. You're not worthy of heaven on your own. You're not worthy of a relationship with a holy God. Neither are any of us. So with humility, then you look and see that Jesus is the one who did live a perfect life. And he died a perfect sacrifice for you. He was raised from the dead. And if you'll believe in him, you won't perish. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved, the scripture says. And so would you trust in Jesus? Make the Savior the Lord, your Savior, your Lord today.